Hi, this is Ruben Spolter from The Mission Project. Five years ago, I began recording and uploading two Mishnayot a day to YouTube. I thought it'd be a nice way of sharing my daily learning with others. Little did I realize how big this would become. Today, The Mission Project has over 150,000 total views. We have over 800 YouTube subscribers, a WhatsApp group, a Telegram channel, a webpage, even a podcast feed. Jews from all walks of life and all skill levels, from literally all over the world, from Western Canada to Eastern Australia, all come to the Misha Project to watch, learn, and grow in Torah. But now I realize there's so much more to do. I dream of creating a new website that will enable people to learn Mishnah at their own pace. I dream of growing and promoting the Mishnah Project so that one day soon, thousands of Jews from around the world will make daily Mishnah an unmissable part of their day. And I dream of expanding the Mishnah Project to other languages so that Jews from Israel and from other parts of the world will be able to take part in this incredible learning opportunity. But to do all this, I need your help. We often study Mishnah in memory of dear departed ones. The word Mishnah in Hebrew shares the same letters as the word Nishama or soul. Our sages teach us that the study of Mishnah can elevate the soul. For this reason, I have dedicated the learning in the Mishnah project to the memory of my father, Harav Simcha Spolter, who passed away when I was young. It brings me great comfort that I can dedicate the learning in his memory. I would like to share this opportunity with you as well. Please join me by giving generously to the Mission Project's inaugural campaign. Your donation in memory of a loved one will perpetuate their memory through the study of Mishnah around the world. I look forward to joining with you in making the Mission Project a powerful force for Torah study for the Jewish people. Thank you so much and make it a great day. our weekly podcast about modern orthodoxy, religious Zionism, and everything in between. We are back after a short Hanukkah break, but we're a man down. I'm here with Hamara Rabinit Malibraski. Hello, Hamara Rabinit Malibraski. Hello, how are you? I'm great. Okay, how was your Hanukkah? Hanukkah was very nice. Thank God. Very, very yeah, nice. Yeah, you did some fun family, family well, stuff? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. But mostly, yeah, I, I, I've tried to think, like, if we did anything, you know, if we did anything. <laughs> we went to an escape room. That was awesome, I have to say. Um, but I think the nicest... Where did you go? What escape room? We went to Where an escape room? room. I think it was called Illusions or Hallucinations. It was in it was in Was it Israel-related or like... No, 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 no. no. It was like... just a plain escape room, but it's a great family activity to do. I just, I think it's really fun when you go with your whole family to it. We, it's just, we found that it's really fun family bonding so this is just a little plug for escape rooms if you're looking for a thing to do with your family if the kids are old enough um but the truth is that for me the nicest like Hanukkah is about that candle lighting time when everybody sits around and spends time whether it's singing whether it's music whether it's eating that time I find very special so that's what Hanukkah is to me for me Speaking of eating we went to a lot ours you know whoever some of our families away so we went to a lot 
it was a lot of food. It was a it lot was a of lot food. <laughs> oh my God, it was so good. It was a, it was lovely. You didn't appreciate my pun. Weather was great. Did you get my pun? I I did. You just I we did. already passed it. I, you I chose think, to ignore it. Okay. I did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it was like, I mean. Wow, it was like it was like crazy. I, I really the pasuk lotatu achare levavchem v'achare enechem was in my mind the whole time, forcing myself not to get up for the fourth time in the middle of dinner. <laughs> uh-huh. It was like well, I thought you, you meant know, because like, uh, yeah. a lot is Israel's sin city and it fits into our conversation about Hanukkah. Yeah, I, I don't go to those places or do those right. things, so we're like it was it was all fine. Great. Uh, we're, without her, Rav Johnny Solomon, as you all can hear, Rav Johnny's not with us. Uh, Bezat Hashem will be back with us next week. Thank God everything's okay. He's got a lot going on his plate. So we said to Johnny, we'll take it from here. We'll take it this time. Molly, you've got a mailbag for yes, us. So, I do. Um, I have so a mailbag. Please share. Please share. Okay. Uh, Our topic was, um, was Hanukkah. The topic was Hanukkah. To topic this Hanukkah. is from Daniel Max, who is an old friend from many years ago. Um, and I thought this was a particularly thoughtful response. And I also thought it was a good um, introduction to the conversation that we're going to talk about today, which Ruby, you're, gonna, you're going to introduce in a minute. Um, so I won't read the whole thing because some of this has to do with other issues, but I will just read one sentence. Well, never mind. I'll just read It'll the part the about Hanukkah. No, no, no. I'm not going to read the part that's not relevant to our, to our podcast. To our listeners, we have had this discussion before, and I was like, oh, I'll read the whole thing. No, yeah, yeah. No, I just realized. Okay. When it comes to Hanukkah, I think you may have been a bit too dismissive of bland ex- explanations regarding the meaning of Hanukkah, all related to metaphoric spreading of light. I think Chazal were somewhat ambivalent about what Hanukkah was about, and specifically ambivalent about the Hasmonean dynasty. The Gemara specifically de-emphasizes the military victory, and that the account was not accepted into Tanakh, and that account was not accepted into Tanakh canon. Towards the miracle of the lights, which you, which when you think about it, is really an odd miracle during a period late enough that miracles in the, in the specific outside of nature sense are an odd thing to be discussing. I imagine, behold, look at this miracle: the menorah is lit. Yes, once again, to be able to publicly light the menorah, but you don't understand it is with olive oil that has a Jewish seal, a miracle we found a sealed container amongst all this destruction, but you don't really understand there's only one container. Um, all right. And then he keeps going on. Well, Hanukkah is certainly about the opposition of Hellenization. The actual historical conflict, conflict seems too complex to make it about fundamentalism and the establishment of red lines, particularly since it had aspects of a civil war amongst Jews. So while, yes, the history is important, and I'm not surprised the students didn't know it well, it still makes sense to me to focus on the more universal messages of light, hope, the endurance of Judaism, and the recognition of Hashem's role in the world. And I don't find that thematically bland. It was also interesting to me that in college, the secular ones, Hanukkah lighting, had tremendous participation by the unaffiliated. Um, All right, that's basically it. And I will go back to the beginning because I think it's important. He was talking about Thanksgiving and whether we should celebrate Thanksgiving in Israel or not. And he had a nice sentence here. Where he said that any this this anti celebrating Thanksgiving in Israel, he said, I always find this surprising because as far as American cultural or even in America, because as far as American cultural traditions are, go, this seems by far the most benign. Um, while admittedly the holiday is historically revisionist, why would one oppose the values of giving thanks, family, and the spirit of cooperation and food? So the reason I thought this was important to read is because I thought this was a really nice perspective, right? And 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 for me, the part that I thought was 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 so nice was was like. You know, I, I kind of said something like I gave this throwaway comment like, oh, yeah, it's about light and family, and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, light and family and hope. Those are really important values. Um, and, and I thought that like hearing that made me realize that often when we're taking a position, it's very easy to state things in ways that sound very dismissive of other people's positions and arguments. And also his Thanksgiving statement 
was like both of his statements really gave me insight into another side of a coin. And I think that it reminded me that when we have these kind of conversations and when we um, kind of maybe sometimes take positions or take sides in in, in um, issues that have, let's say, conflict, I think it's really important. I think that's what we're trying to do in our podcast is to remember that just because we're taking a side doesn't mean we can't see the value of the other side and that we can hold the multiple truths at the same time. And for me, that was important just in and of itself as a value. Like to remember, like, don't be so dismissive of the other of, of, of another side. Hold and hear the truth. And also a reminder about how to talk, how the discourse should be. That when we're talking, to remember to always couch our, our conversation with that degree of, of awareness of we're not, we're not arguing in order to win. We're arguing in order to clarify. And clarification means that you're shedding light on two sides that both will have important value. And even if you might still choose to stay on one side, you've now become richer because you've seen both sides of, or multiple sides of, a, of an issue from a richer and more complex place. Totally agree with that. I very much encourage you to keep that in mind as we have our, our discussion, right. uh, the next part exactly. of, our, so thanks, of our discussion. Daniel. But, but uh, I actually want to go back to what he wrote in his, in his email, which I thought was very interesting. His point that Chazal downplayed the military victory, you know, it's, really, it's a very interesting question because, and could go to something I think is very important to our podcast as well. Chazal were living in Bavel, in Chutz Aretz, and the idea of of playing up a military victory of Jewish people against an outside invader could very well be seen as something that would be mutinous, that would be extremely dangerous, something they would be lax to do. So while he suggests they do it in order to emphasize other, other aspects of light and beauty and hope, and of course those are definitely parts of Hanukkah, in, in that act, one does recognize the, how shall I say, the realities of living in the Gola and uh, the shifting nature of probably of what Hanukkah was all about, uh, as as Jews had to sort of adjust to what does it mean to live amongst a, a nation, and what does it mean to to you know bring light to the world, but not to have ever suggest, God forbid, that we're going to have some kind of some thoughts about over, overthrowing somebody else who doesn't agree with Interesting. us. Interesting. So, and I think that Hanukkah changed. You know, I shared with you, Molly. I don't know. Did you have a chance to listen to it? That WNYC. Yeah, ah. So I shared with you this. Uh, I, maybe we could share it in our in our show links. I got it on my on one of my podcast feeds. I need to listen to the Slate Political God uh, Political Gabfest, and they shared uh, a, a very short item, about a fifteen minute item, published by WNYC, which is like the PBS station, the radio, very very famous radio station, about the hidden truths of Hanukkah. And they interviewed this conservative rabbi slash historian, very well known historian, who said, "Listen, Hanukkah changed over time." And he mentioned this idea, and he said, like, until um, the idea of Israel, until the idea of Jewish strength was reinvigorated, think about the idea of what we call our sports teams today, the Maccabim, where we, you know, we, the idea of Rabim Be'ad Mi'atim, the idea, the, the concept of having, of, of extolling Jewish military victory was just an anathema. Because what did it mean? And what did it mean to the people who are around you? And what does it mean to have Jewish strength? It's the idea of Jewish strength. So I think he's correct. I think it was de-emphasized, and it definitely did, took on different overtones. And then the question is today, what do those tones mean for, our, for, for Jews around the world, and how does it meld the old and the new? Yeah. I would also add, of course, it goes without saying 
it cannot be denied that Hanukkah's popularity in Chutzlaretz stems very much from the nature of the of the season in which we live. Meaning, a lot of Hanukkah is sort of copied of Christmas. And there, there's just no way around that fact that Christmas is lights and the tree and the and the candles and the caroling and many many Jews just like that's the major holiday season in the United States and in Europe. All the you know like the winter season and the winter fest. It's just a major holiday season, and people are yearning for holiday, yearning for light. And Hanukkah fills that need. So, so it's undeniable that that's part, that when you're living in that just cultural uh, environment where it's all around you, you, you want to have your culture reflect those values as well. And without a doubt, I, 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 we didn't, I don't know if we talked about it last time, but Hanukkah for sure has taken on in Chutzar its overtones of that. I mean, just something we talked about was like Hanukkah presents. There, there is no notion in halacha. Like for what? What's the kesher between maybe Hanukkah gel? But even that, what was the what was the origination of Hanukkah gel? So you know, did we give our kids presents? Maybe because we got presents. But why did we get presents? Because all our friends were getting presents. Why did they get presents? Because all of America is waking up with tons of presents under their Christmas tree. Not kesher between that and Hanukkah. There is none. You know, so we have to sort of. I think he, he's correct. But there's so much more going on, the idea of the outside culture and the idea of connections and, and, and yearnings and desires and the downplaying of military for reasons other than the positive values that Hanukkah emphasized. Yeah, I agree. I also think in terms of the idea that Chazal were de-emphasizing military and emphasizing miracle, I think that's important. Or emphasizing spirit, spirituality as opposed to just kochiv ideas, to put it in shorthand. I think it's an important message, not just in in galut slash gola, but also for us. And I think that's, an, I mean, this is maybe a different podcast that we can have one year about Hanukkah. But like when I listen to traditional Israeli Hanukkah songs, there are some of them that are real like kfira. Like the words are like, nes lo karalanu. Um, right? These, these like anu nosim lapidim. These, these in the early years of the state, Hanukkah was about God's greatness. Everybody knows what Miyamalel, right? Where people are like, wait, where's God in that in that song? Hundred um, percent. That's exactly hundred percent. And and, yeah. and and but I think the country is moving again. That's like a you know history of Israel. But like Chazal's injunction, don't don't think that it's all about military might was probably true in the time of the Chashmonaim. Um, and it's and it's a message that we should be taking back with us today, um, in our own, in our current reality in the state of Israel. I think it's very important to to find the appropriate balance. Um, I also think, by the way, that that my I don't I remember who just spoke to me about this, and I'll just say this very quickly. But the whole idea of having like a a light festival in the middle of the winter, um, you know, that's like a universal idea, and I think it's very powerful when you were talking about like universal, you know, like. All of America celebrating like because well, it's so dark, it's so dark, and people say that like there was also like always a pagan festival of light, you know, in the winter solstice, and it's not a coincidence. So that... it is interesting that here in Yerushalayim, the, the light festival is always it's always in the summertime, the springtime, isn't that, it? That it's like always thing, like I don't know. July, May. But the short, apparently, the shortest Shabbos of the year was Shabbos Hanukkah. So what does that tell you? Hmm. Meaning the all right. So let's go to our. Yes. If you don't mind, let's uh, switch Please. over to the topic that we mm-hmm. actually wanted to yes. discuss. <laughs> We're twelve minutes in, but that's all good. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, who, Daniel Max. And the point that I wanted to make was really like, thank you. And, and people have done this all the time. And the truth is, I want to shout out Ann Gordon also, who I, we wanted to read hers because she did the same thing for a different different conversation, but it was a voice note. So we couldn't read it. Um, I forgot which, whatever, it'll come to me which conversation it was. But maybe like, one day we'll actually figure out how to include voice note technology maybe, maybe, in our Maybe, but she also in enriched, uh, in a similar way. Like <laughs> I find people respond to us, they really enrich our conversation and they give nuances that we hadn't thought about. 
And I think that's really part of our mandate is to kind of... Yeah, unless they're wrong, and then we don't just disagree with them. <laughs> just kidding, joking. So, so true. Joking. Okay. Boy, okay. Today, we are now in week two of Omicron, Omicron gate. Uh, and uh, gate? As, is there as a, every... I think you can't add a gate because that means you scandal. think that there's a... Scandal is okay. Conspiracy theory is too far. Uh, well, no, gate is a scandal. You're right. You're right. It's, it's Fair enough. Gate is conspiracy. No, no, no. Okay, you're right. Omicron. You're right. Right. Well, whatever. God willing, Omicron will be much of much to do about very little mm-hmm. and they'll open their skies. But um, it, when they sh- basically the government of Israel, it's we're going to try to become be very non-judgmental about the government's decisions because that's not really what we're about. That's not who we are. It's not our place to make that. I feel it's not our place to make to make that decision. Or we'll hopefully have a guest on who maybe feel differently. That's his. It'll be his right. But um, but what we do want to discuss is, I think, a larger issue. Uh, can I frame it in my conceptual yeah, circle? Yeah, please do. Uh, I, I think that's a great, a great okay. framing. So the government of Israel uh, decided last Sunday when the Omicron, when Omicron broke, they said, okay, we're shutting down the country. We're, we're not shutting down the country. We're not shutting down the country. We're shutting the borders. We're closing the borders to outsiders. If you don't live in Israel and you're not a citizen of Israel, you can't come into, this, you can't come into the country. Now, of course, if you're a citizen of Israel, you can leave and come back, come and go as you please. I mean, that's, again, it's a legal issue. It's not a, we're not we're not here to discuss COVID policy whatsoever. This caused a great deal of strain, pain, and anguish for a number of different people. Okay, and so the 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 way we see the way the way we do, the way I'd like to describe it is a series of concentric circles. On the innermost circle is we'll just call them citizens of Israel, and the government of Israel has a responsibility for the needs and wants and desires, the safety and security, the protection of the citizens of Israel. And Molly, you and I can agree on this, yes. right? So mm-hmm. it, it's, it's policy decisions have to be those that are in the interest of the citizens of Israel. And there are many, many different factors that have to take into account. Keeping the economy open, keeping people safe, keeping people healthy, keeping them happy, allowing the freedom of movement. It's a, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to keep in account. And that's what the government has to first and foremost take into account. That's circle number, that's the innermost circle of our, that's the bullseye in our circle. On the very outside of our circle, the very, very outside, we're not sure if it's number four or number five, on the outside of that circle are uh, non-Jewish, citizens, non-citizens of Israel who want to go visit a tourist from uh, Moldovia, decides he wants to buy a ticket and visit, you know, the Kinneret. He wants to walk where, where, you know, where his God walked. And therefore, he books a ticket to Israel. And then all of a sudden, you get a... Is there a country? I'm Googling Moldova. There's a country called Moldova. Go ahead. I remember, I just remember cheers like uh, Woody House going, Albania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. The Albania song. You border. Okay, anyway. Moldavia. Moldavia. Is it a real country? Is it a real country? I know there's the Maldives. I might have made up Moldavia. Yeah. <laughs> We're now totally off track. Anyhow, yeah, so this tourist it's a historical from region Maldives. and former principality in Central and Eastern Europe corresponding. Okay, no. that's exactly what I was thinking of. So, Moldavian, Moldo- our Moldavia. Moldavian wants to come to wants to come to Israel to tour. Very good, very nice. We very much want him to tour, but he got to know. He got to notice. He was going to. He was already to get on the plane. He was ready to travel, and what have you? Israel shut it down, and he can't come now. So that that's a problem for the people who work in the tourism industry in Israel on the inside circle. But for him on the outside circle, I, I personally believe his problem is not my problem. His desire to come and visit Israel is nice for me, and I want him to come visit Israel. But right now, Corona, oh, 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 what, is it, what is it called? Omicron, 
you know, bad. Okay, we have to put his needs behind our needs. You have to shut him out. There's another, there's a, so we're in the bullseye. Right around the bullseye is what we in the Chutzla Arts community are very much very sensitive to, which is what we would call families of the of citizens of Israel. Now, now Israelis are less sensitive to this because they're not as dependent on their families. But for example, um, there was a recently a campaign, a very public campaign for pregnant women who want to be able to get in, want their parents or their mothers and their fathers to be able to get in to help them when they have their children. And Israelis understand this intuitively, like, you know, a birth, and you go to your mother's house, you hang out at her house, she takes care of you. And what do you do if you shut, if your mother is shut out because she's not technically a citizen of Israel? And it was a whole campaign, it was a successful campaign, and theoretically now they're going to change their mind. Meaning, the, there's, there's a need and an understanding that first relatives, or maybe sometimes second relatives, that, that relatives of citizens of Israel are like a circle right around the bullseye. That we have to accommodate the, their needs, but not because we care about them per se, but because we care about the people of Israel, because we have to accommodate the needs of our citizens. The, we're we're going to leave one, two, like bullseye, outside of bullseye, and China and people in China. Uh, uh, that's not what we're discussing here. We want to discuss a third category. What about Jewish citizens, not Jewish citizens, people who are Jews? who are not coming necessarily to visit their family members. They want to be connected to Israel. They want to be associated with Israel. They want to visit Israel. They might want to live in Israel. They want to be connected to Israel. But they find themselves shut out from visiting Israel. And there have been uh, some articulate voices in Chutzaret who are vocally, com you know, com who complain about this fact, who say, listen, and uh, I I'm going to use their arguments, which I, I sort of agree with, and then, Molly, you're going to, you respond. They say, listen, when Israel's in trouble, when Israel needs someone to lobby in Congress, when Israel needs donations, when Israel needs support, moral support, financial support, political support, Israel turns to us and says, you Jews of the diaspora, you are, you, you are, you have a special relationship with us. We want you to have a special relationship with us. So now these people are coming around, turning around and saying, I want to have that special relationship, but, but is it only one-sided? Meaning when you shut down the country, I'm excluded as well. How does that special relationship supposed to account for my needs to connect to the state during Corona, Omicron, Omegatron? <laughs> Molly, what do you think? Okay, so uh, first of all, I, I just want to, okay, I'll, I'll answer that question and then there's something else I want to say. My, my um, fundamental response to that is, I, I, I really like your concentric circle analogy because I think that's exactly right. I think on the one hand, it's important to recognize there's a special relationship with the Jews of the diaspora. And I think it's 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 mutually important, right? It's important for us also because we we value that relationship for our own good and for the good of the Jews of the diaspora. We want that relationship. It's also also from our love of our fellow Jew, also because again, we think it's mutually beneficial for Israel to have that 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 relationship with diaspora Jews. We think it's beneficial for diaspora Jews to have that relationship with Israel. And again, even beyond the, the advantages for each, we are one nation, we are one um, people, and we we should have that sense of brotherhood. And therefore, I think we have to recognize that that circle is a closer circle, right, than let's say what you call the fourth circle. And, and, and therefore, the, the, that category should be given a degree of special consideration. I'm going to talk about how you do that in a second. However, I do think it's important to point out that it's still concentric circle number three. 
And I think that that, and I'm saying this with a lot of respect and appreciation, I think that that's important for diaspora Jews to understand, which is that we are, that there's, the Israeli government is, and, and people who live in Israel are still, it's still legitimate, um, and I would argue perhaps even appropriate for us to recognize that there are still concentric circles that go deeper in, and that citizens have rights um, that non-citizens don't have. And that the Israeli government has a responsibility to the safety of its citizens in a different way that it has a responsibility to diaspora Jews. Yes, if any diaspora Jew is ever in imminent life-threatening danger, there's a law of return and they can come in and and without question, right? And they can become a citizen like that without question. As long as a person is not a citizen, however, I don't think that that it's necessarily reasonable to have the expectation that they get the same privileges as, as a citizen, which I don't think anybody really disagrees with. But I think that sometimes... That, that concentric circle part gets a little bit lost. And I think another reason why this gets lost is because, and I've really been trying to think about this deeply from this place of like trying to understand what's going on, because I think people become very emotional and these are, and, and I understand why, and these are very trying times. And, and I really understand the person who's been, you know, dying to get into the country for two and a half years because of their great love for the country and hasn't been able to. It's tremendously painful. But I, I think it's also important to understand what's going on. And, and the way that I was thinking about it was that I think it's important to distinguish between, I feel like every organization, every system, every government can be divided into its functional part and its dysfunctional part, right? The functional part is, you know, when things are functioning well, whether you're talking about a hospital or an army or a government or, or any, 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 any type of social organization, it's got a functional part that works well, right? And then when you zoom in, there's always going to be a part that's functioning less well, right? A different piece of it, whether that's because of bureaucracy or understaffing or even just a technicality that in a situation like that, we were talking about the culture of Israel a couple of um, podcasts ago. We were talking about a lot of things depends on like who you know and, um, you know, getting your voice heard and, and, and needing advocacy. So for whatever reason, right, sometimes you th- there's a black hole of, of, of dysfunction where Issues are just not raised because of, again, any, any of those reasons, right? And so I think when you're, the first thing to, to, to distinguish is like, what's happening here? Some of this problem is actually an argument in the functional part, and some of this is an argument in the dysfunctional part, right? Meaning the argument in the functional part is like, wait, how come Israelis are allowed to go on vacation, but, you know, what we're calling level three people are not allowed into the country? How dare they? Well, that, I think that conversation can happen in the functional part. Israel is entitled to say we have a legal issue. We're not. It's very difficult to bar citizens' entry and, and exit, uh, but we but we do want to put you know a put a, a hold on Circle Three, and that can be an and, and and again I might feel one way, but you can have a reasonable functional argument about that. But there's also the dysfunctional part, right? The dysfunctional part is the mess where like. Basically, just nobody knows, right? The, 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 the issue of, let's say, as you said, mothers of pregnant women, um, nobody's thought about them because the Knesset hasn't thought about that issue, right? Or, um, you know, during all different, right, this whole pandemic, there have been, you know, the rules changed every day and every minute. And like, you know, before Pesach, the rules were X and, and, and you know, 5,000 applications were coming in, let's say, I just made up that number, right? And maybe there were 
200 staffers who were trying to deal with that amount, that and overload. Right, I just made that number up, right? So, probably like four. Number one, right. Well, no, because again, shout out to Har Choma, which came through for me twice, Mr. Adapanim and Har Choma. Um, but the point is, like, that's a that's part of the dysfunction. That's an understaffing, unawareness problem, right? And those are two different conversations that need to be had. And I think that that some. No, I, I, I I'm not that no, but our, we're not here to discuss the I dysfunction agree with you. problem again. That's not no, no, no. Our issue. But okay, it's but not... I do want to say that that's why when our mystery guest comes on, right? I, I think that one of the ways you deal with dysfunction is through advocacy and through raising awareness. And I think that. Thank God, right? That's what that's what he's doing, and I think that we all owe him a tremendous debt of gratitude. I, I, I totally agree about right? that. I totally agree I, I, about so, that. But, but I want to go back. I want to go back, Molly, to your point. I agree with you that right, it's a bureaucratic issue, and you have to have a bureaucracy. You need to, and sometimes I'm just saying you have to understand makes- what's happening. You have to understand that part of this is a reasonable disagreement, and part of this is. Unfortunate, and we have to work on both of those things. But the, 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 I'm sorry, I just want to let me just make no, one sec. Okay, you yeah, want to go? Because I just I have one more point yeah, to make. Let me let me go. Because okay, I, I, and then I just remind me that I want to just make I one more one last point. I agree with you that part of it is is like, but we're not. But I, I want I, part of it is is functional, and part is dysfunctional, and dysfunction is incredibly frustrating. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a functional decision where the government of Israel does not make any distinction between three and four. Meaning, according to mm-hmm. the way the, the, the rules were issued, I, I made one, two, and then there's three, and then there's four. But according to the government of Israel, there's one, two, and then there's everyone else. There is no three. There's no special accommodations. And so I was thinking about it in these, in term, in these terms. First of all, psychologically, the idea that a Jew knows that, he, that, that the Jewish state, even if he doesn't make Aliyah, and we can push that from here to, until tomorrow, but the fact, he doesn't make Aliyah. But the idea of the Jewish state closing its borders to Jewish people it should bother us. It should very much mm-hmm. bother us. Even for, even for any reason, for any delay, and you know what I'm saying? There should be a mangenon, a mechanism to say, you're Jewish, you come in, you have to pay $2,000 to go to a, a Corona hotel. To, here are the rules, or whatever it is right. you want to do. The state of Israel doesn't close its, close its borders to Jews. And, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a value in saying that, which I think is a little bit lost today, and I, I think is important that should be considered. I Number agree two, with that, you said way. yes. Of, yes, so and then we're going to end up agreeing. I hope. Number two, you said yes. We do have a special relationship. Listen, everybody's starting to realize COVID's not going away. Right? It's just not going to go away. And there's going to be Omicron and Flutocron, mm-hmm. and you know what I'm saying. There's going to be whatever. Well, if we're lucky, Omicron know, will be mild, and everybody will be get, get herd immunity. And, right, and then you get to the theta and delta, <laughs> delta, delta, and theta, delta. It's it's going to be here. So we better start thinking about well, if these people really have a special relationship with us then that better express itself somehow. And, and I, you know, you sent me a link, or somebody sent me a link where um, uh, uh, the Chaber Knesset, Simcha Rotman, was speaking to a Knesset committee, and he said exactly that. You know, people today, they don't decide to make Aliyah just, okay, I'll make Aliyah. You say, you can make Aliyah. I mean, theoretically, you could say that. Well, if you're not happy, then make Aliyah. But making Aliyah is a process. And for every one of us who made Aliyah, it involved coming to visit, for many people, it involves buying a house or selling their children or figuring selling things out. Selling their children? So you settle, settling oh. their children. That's selling their children. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's keep it there. Figuring things out, finding, you know what I'm saying? You cannot do that from afar. Mm-hmm. And, and people will tell you this. You know, yes, there are some people that are willing to buy an apartment on paper without having seen anything. Most normal people are cra- it's crazy enough to make Aliyah. You, you don't think about the, it's interesting, they talk about COVID, about, about, like how many people didn't go to the hospital to get their regular cancer yeah. checks? 
And now they're discovering many people with low alina with stage four cancer because they, they, they didn't come and have things treated. Oh, so heart disease. And so we have to think yeah. about what? I was told by, yeah. by a heart specialist, he said, you know how many wives have come in this year without their husbands because their husbands died because the, the center was closed during COVID. And so they didn't get their, well, it's their not yearly just whatever. checkups. I, I, it's terrible. It's tragic. But I'm asking to think about that, that, that checkup in connection in relationship with the U.S.-Israel relationship, mm-hmm. the, the special relationship we have with the Jewish community when you don't have federation visits and you miss birthright for two years. You know what I'm saying? Now you can, and what is the psychological implication of a Jew in, you know, in, in San Juan knowing that the, that the state of Israel closes its doors to me? What, what is that implication? What, what is my special relationship yeah. and how does, that, how does that influence me? And I think that that's something that the government needs to take into account. And those people who are articulating that and voicing that, I think that they're not just saying, oh, you know, I really want to get my Eilat breakfast and how come Ruben Spolter can get it and I can. I think they're really expressing a, a sense of pain that, yes, I care about Israel and I want Israel to be, I want to, I'm going to be there for Israel. And even if, you know, but where is Israel for me? And I, we're, we're all going through this COVID and to shut me out, is saying something, and we have to be aware of that and try to think about how to deal with it. I agree with you. I don't disagree with you. I agree with you 100%. I think, I think, again, I think it should be raised in the Israeli government. I think somebody should raise it the same way, again, Mr. Guest is going to talk about. No, I don't want it just to be raised. I want it to be addressed. I, 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 I agree. It should be raised and addressed. Somebody should be the and, voice and that raises and addresses like it. I, I'm just... I, you I, might not like or agree with the decision, but... Okay, I, you know I agree saying, with you 100% to... about that. I, I just... I, I think that, it, that again, and this is like the both sides of the issue, I think Israelis need to understand, and again, not just for our own advantage about like what, you know, what's it going to do for us if people start coming, stop coming on UJA missions, but also the real pain of Jews who love Israel. Like there are some of these posts of people who say like, finally got in after two years and I can't can't stop crying and I'm at the hotel and like I feel like I'm living a dream like it's like can't we appreciate Jews who love Israel just because Jews love Israel and and, and right, have a my lot sense of... is that in Israelis don't have that as a na- so I agree that. like you said we have a national concern no that's a national concern too at least and our voices I agree should be expressed I agree I agree with that I, I, I'm just gonna give the other side of that coin for Americans who who, who maybe are extremely maybe not Americans whatever people, non-citizens, it could be from any country, who, again, are, are focusing on the pieces of this that either stem for dysfunction, from dysfunction, just like a lack of, of, of um, you know, ability to handle this well, or stem from disagreement about functional decisions. But I, I do, I just would like to frame it for them also in the following way, because I think it's also important for for them to have the following perspective, which I was thinking about, and the truth is that Johnny raised this um, in our discussion before, and it's funny because he, he, he and if, I'll, I'll send you all to Johnny's Facebook post about Chonia Ma'agel. For me, it's all, I also think about Chonia Ma'agel. It's, it's a very, it's a, I have a similar um, vort that I say this is, I heard it from Michael Hatton. Johnny had a similar take where he talks about Chonia Ma'agel. Chonia Ma'agel is the famous one who, um, um, Two things. First of all, the story starts with right? We, we were like dreamers when we returned to Zion. And then it tells a bunch of stories about Choni. One of them, well, basically it's the same story, but basically he sees somebody planting a carob tree and he says, why are you doing that? And he says, oh, I'm doing it for my grandchild. And he's like, well, that's dumb. Like you, you, won't, you won't be able to enjoy it. He's like, it's okay because I'm doing it for the future generations. And then he's like, I don't understand why you would do that. And then he falls asleep. And this is the part that Johnny didn't mention. This is the part that I heard from Michael Hatton once on Yomat Smoda and I thought it was a beautiful idea. He says... What happened? Choni wakes up, right? Choni is the Rip Van Winkle of Judaism. He wakes up 
70 years in the future. And basically, it's a disaster. Right, Choni like goes to his base medrash and nobody knows he can't find his chavrusa, and um, he goes to his house and his family doesn't know who he is and he hates it. He hates the future. He 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 hates the seventy year the, 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 the where he is and he's like God just kill me and I forgot how it ends. If he just falls back asleep, it goes back in time or I don't remember what happens to Choni. So but have to somebody will have to read it. But the message Johnny will tell, Johnny us. Will tell us exactly the takeaway. Of of that Michael says and Hatton, Rabbi Michael Hatton, um, and and that Johnny brings is that sometimes we have dreams and then we wake up and the reality doesn't look exactly like the dream, right? Um, and so the Omatzimot message of that is like thousands of years in the diaspora, we dreamed about what the Jewish state would look like, and it doesn't always look exactly the reality is uglier and messier and close up again. It has that dysfunction element that reality always has, right? And so I think that, and so when Johnny said it, Johnny was like, let's have a little perspective about where we are in the world and appreciate what we have and what we don't have. And I know that it's hard and have perspective. That was kind of Johnny's, um, I hope it's okay that I quoted Johnny. Um, it's fine, you put it on Facebook. Right, no, but about this issue. But, but, <laughs> but, but for me, it's about like, I do think that that's important to like take a deep breath and recognize that like, State of Israel is really doing the best it can, right? And it's in its both its functional parts. And again, like sometimes the dysfunction comes with chutzlair. It's like when you let people in. Uh oh, um, sorry, just my battery's dying, and it's. You want to sorry? Oh, okay. So you know, what? let's take a break here. It's the All right, let's time take a break. To take a break, take here. a break. We'll take a break here, and then uh, after our break, hopefully, we'll be back with our special guest. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, we're back. Uh, Molly, you want to finish up your point that you were making? Yeah, yeah. I was just really wanted to say that the reality of Israel is obviously a reality and not a fantasy. And therefore, I think it's important for people to, as you we were saying before, um, have kind of forbearance. Like for the parts that are functional, respect the Israeli government's decision, even if we disagree and we can have disagreements about policy. And for the parts that are less functional, that are dysfunctional, um, so understand that may some of it may be a lack of understanding of the complexity of the situation maybe also um appreciate and i think this is going to lead us into our guest right appreciate those who are trying to step into that place where things are not operating ideally or optimally and trying to make it better um, and i think that if if people have that type of an approach and an attitude i think there can be a much healthy dialogue between um israeli israeli citizens and diaspora jews so that's i'm gonna let you 
take it from there, Rubian. Totally agree. And that leads us right into our guest for today. We're very honored to have my good friend, my high school, former high school classmate, former member of Knesset, and uh, founder and director of Yadla Olim, Rabbi Dov Littman. Rabbi Littman, hello, welcome. Thanks. It's great to be with you. And you have to also mention that you helped me get all the assists that I got in basketball by being such a good power forward. <laughs> I can just feed the ball to you and you can go score. So thank you for that. You know, some, somebody had to be the most valuable player and somebody had to be... <laughs> Said somebody had to be, what was it, Minister of Defense? What is it? <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but you just went right I there. I fed you that <laughs> line. I fed you that line. <laughs> okay. Uh, Molly's listening like no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> if you went to the Yeshiva of Greater Washington between the years 1985 and 1995, send me an email. Okay. Um, Rabbi Lippman, we are in the middle of a discussion about the, the, a very specific question. The specific question is, should the state of Israel have special rules for Jews not living in Israel? Meaning, we know, like, you know, you have to make rules for Omicron, and we're not here to question. We know that you, what you do is, you know, involved in helping people overcome bureaucracy and deal with the system, and with, when the system, especially when it fails, not when it works, but when it fails. And you're doing that day and night through Yad Olim, and I'll give you an opportunity to speak about that as well. But what we really want to know is when, even when the system does not fail, when it's doing what it's supposed to do, it does not account for Jews who are not Israelis. Uh, do you think, in your experience, do you think that it should or should not? And why or why not? Like, how does that, how does that affect the work that you do? And uh, go off on that. Can I just so add something? I, Sorry, just yeah, yeah. because we discussed that the, the, uh, if you can, uh, if you're comfortable, first of all, thank you very much for being with us. We really appreciate it. And, oh, I should have said that. Yeah, and thank I, you I, appreci I appreciate you personally, <laughs> as I said privately, but I will now say publicly because you are great assistance to my family um and just i'm thinking of the name of all the olim of israel but ruby had made a distinction when we were talking before there are israeli citizens there are families of israeli citizens and then there are people who want to visit the country as tourists who are not families of israeli citizens i don't know if you're comfortable addressing all those different you know kind of categories but that that's a question that's on our minds i definitely feel comfortable addressing it and thank you for having me i think that the corona crisis has brought this topic to the fore because until this time first of all there is a special status to Jews from around the world and we have to always remember that and that is their ability to land in Israel and become an Israeli citizen automatically so we've already set the precedent for there to be some kind of different category albeit in the process of Aliyah but we've already said Jews around the world have a special status uh, available to them uh, because this is the homeland of the Jewish people. And I think that... Jew sure, but that, that's a special... I mean, obviously, we want everyone to make Aliyah. We're very pro-Aliyah here. For sure. And, you know, but that... The question is, should that special status, like, obviously, have ramifications in other areas? I mean, COVID's going to be with us. But also other areas of thinking about, we want to encourage Jews to be connected to Israel. How do we want to do that? Yeah. So I definitely believe that uh, Israel can do a much better job in terms of uh, recognizing the uh, needs and the abilities of Jews around the world to contribute to the story of Israel. Uh, we're very, very good at uh, giving honor uh, in tragic moments when a, a lone soldier uh, passes away and, and Israelis always rally around that. Um, but do we think at all um, about the families of those lone soldiers when, when circumstances are fine? Uh, do you know that most families do not hear anything 
from anyone official in Israel until, God forbid, they get the knock on the door uh, from the consul general in that situation. So I'm not even talking about Jews around the world who don't have a specific connection to Israel. These are people who have sent their children here and they're basically not even dealt with at all. So I do believe, and I can tell you, having sat in Knesset, uh, I always said I'm one out of 120 uh, who knows what diaspora jury is because wow. I was, you know, pretty fresh off the boat when I got in there. And you have to understand when 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 Chavik Knesset go on trips uh, and meet diaspora communities, they're in shock. They're in shock by the passion they hear for Israel. They're in pa they're shocked by how people are willing to sacrifice. I'm not just talking about economically, but put themselves out there uh, vocally uh, for Israel, how much Israel means to them. And I don't think there's enough uh, reciprocity from Israel to them. I feel that there needs to be something else that Israel is doing in recognizing that it's the homeland for all the Jewish people. So I don't know if I define it as a special status as much as I define it as the need for there to be a strategy within the Israeli government uh, for how they're going to do their part to strengthen diaspora jury, to strengthen their connection to Israel, and not just let, let it just be, you know, when they give a financial donation here or there, but something much deeper uh, on a value level uh, than exists today. So, so, okay, so you're now the Minister of Diaspora Affairs, and I, the way they do it now is they pour tons of money into education, I mean, tons of money into supporting Jewish institutions and Aliyah. But okay, I'm the, you're the Minister of Diaspora Affairs, and you have the ability to actually influence policy. What's in your basket of, of to develop this special relationship? So like, let's start with Corona. Do you think that Jews should have a special right? I mean, they follow whatever rules you want, but should there be a special Corona status, because this is going to be with us, to allow Jews to come to Israel, uh, you know, even though they're not citizens? Or they don't have, or they don't have a first degree relative. Right, right, right. So I, I do believe we have to be very careful about this because uh, as much as I'm getting messages day and night from Jews who are missing coming to Israel, uh, I'm getting those messages from Christians around the world mm. who support Israel and miss Israel and bring a lot to the table for Israel. So we have to definitely be cautious about that. So I wouldn't necessarily say uh, that there should be at the moment uh, a special status specifically for uh, Jews versus non-Jews who want to come to Israel. But I do believe there could be a status carved out for those who do have a special connection to Israel. What I mean by that is there's a difference between a regular tourist who's just in the mood to come here than groups that are out there daily doing things for Israel and, and advocating for Israel and need to maintain that special connection to be able to continue doing what they're doing for Israel. So all of the groups... Wait, wait, let me, let me see if I can understand sure. you. I'm trying to understand, meaning... For me, there's an, like, it's important for me that a Jew feels that Israel is open to me. Like someone who I, I might want to make Aliyah one day or I never want to make Aliyah, but it's a homeland of the Jewish people. It's a, um, it's a, you know, and you're saying you wouldn't do that because it would upset Christian groups that also feel connected to, to Israel? I'm trying to understand. Yeah, you. I, I'm not even saying because it would upset them. I think it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, I really do. I think that uh, Israel has uh, partners all around the world who are a big part of our story. And, what, and saying that Jews have a unique status vis-a-vis -vis the Jewish state is a mistake? It would send the wrong message? I do believe, I believe that would be a mistake right now. I, my, 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 Interesting. My, my, okay. my strongest battle right now, though, and that's, that, that's why like, you're taking it um, to a much further degree. And we have not succeeded. We have not succeeded mm -hmm. in entrenching in the minds of the Israeli government 
that families of Olim uh, are in a different category. We have not. I mean, here and there we've gotten policy changes because of a lot of pressure. But if you would say, do you really understand uh, that situation? Uh, the answer, sadly, at this point is still is still no. So, yeah. go ahead. No, sorry, I'm just trying to understand why. Why it is that that's so hard is it just because they don't have that experience? Like, or do you think it's part of the, the Israeli cultural mentality? Like, it just seems so obvious no, to me. The cultural mentality, that, they rely on their families all the time. Uh, it it, it's it like just seems obvious Israeli to me to understand society. that family matters. Like, I'm, I'm trying to, I, again, like, I, I just assumed that your work was amazing work and that the minute you would bring the attention to the Chavre Knesset, they would be like, oh, we hadn't thought of that. Is it maybe also yeah. because... If that was true, he wouldn't have had to do that whole campaign, right? If we just use that campaign for a moment that we ran for the mother... Wait, let's explain the yeah, campaign that Yad Olim did I'll, for our listeners. I'll explain. Uh, we, we were approached by, by, I mean, hundreds of, of women who made Aliyah and their husbands who are expecting in the next number of weeks. And when this ban was put into place, which I'm not, again... If a ban needs to be put in place because of a variant and there's fears, I'm all in favor of it, but done in a smart way. Uh, they ignored, literally ignored the category of exception of expecting mothers. They put in an exception for immediate families of weddings. They put in uh, for other areas of life. They forgot about the expecting mothers. And I just thought it would just be a matter of just pointing out to them that they forgot it. And then, of course, it would be implemented. And that's not what happened. Uh, it has been uh, a, a long time, day and night of meetings and pressuring and trying to convince uh, that the most basic... Did they explain why? Was there any logic to be saying, like, no, we can't allow the parents of expecting mothers? It was just like, no. There was an attempt to explain that it's logistically difficult, which I do agree with, mm -hmm. because as opposed to a wedding where here is the date, come in before that date, mm -hmm. you leave by a certain time, it can be monitored... It's a lot easier than here's a due date, but maybe she'll be the baby will be born two weeks beforehand or two weeks afterwards. So there are simple solutions to that, but that was always what we were told in terms of. That doesn't seem so complicated. I mean, you've got a pre date date when the birth is going to happen. No, but, but even if it's. No, but it could say, be a month within a month. You right, know, if you somebody say 30 days before and 30 days after, you cover that. But so what? A person comes a month before, then they sit and be due for two weeks. Who cares? They're willing, these people are willing to do whatever it correct, takes. Correct, correct. So if you're asking me, did I get a real answer? I, I did not get a real answer. Many of the members of Knesset and ministers that I met with agreed, but there was this pressure and I couldn't even figure out from where, uh, not that the ministers were not going to allow it to happen. So uh, I saw the desperation and I actually got a group together with the women on a WhatsApp group where we were, I was talking about doing a demonstration that will have all of these pregnant women come and stand outside the Minister of Interior's office or the government. That would have been awesome. The media loves pregnant yeah, women and but, protesting. But, but I forgot that I, I I don't know what it's like to be nine months pregnant. And, <laughs> no, they're not coming out. And, and, and the women said... Oh, we, we men. Yeah. We're so and the women were said, uh, don't, we just can't do this. We can't <laughs> come to Ushalayim from you know 10 to 1 o'clock on the day and, and be there. Uh, they were talking about bringing chairs, bringing water, they said we can't do this so then i said okay we'll do a virtual one and we and we put together and and one of the uh women came up with the idea of linking it to uh the fact that israel allowed the miss universe uh competition to take place during this time when there's a ban on people entering and they came up with this tagline the slogan of you know my mother is also beautiful now could she come into israel and we put together Yad Lo'lim, the organization that I founded and is the basis for all the work that we're doing now. We put together this video clip and my goal, this, my goal was, okay, I know the way this works. Hopefully the video will take off. That will lead it to 
the media, hopefully. And hopefully, if it's in the media, ministers will take notice, and that can lead to a decision change. That was the concept. And sure enough, it did go viral. Sure enough, it was all over. It was picked up by Yediot Ahronot, Ynet, the number one news site in Israel. So, and that, so I don't watch Israeli TV. Did it get onto Israeli TV it also? Because it it's got channel, great videos. Channel yeah. 12, Channel 13, it did. But but I, I've learned that, that little little clips on, on TV are good, but something lasting, like on Ynet or in the, in the actual mm. newspaper that people read, is really the ultimate goal. And they took it, and they, and they even said to me, and they said, we want to help you get this done, because this is a, a, just, a just cause. And that ultimately led to my actually getting contacted by the Minister of Interior. Uh, and she said to me, uh, you know, I'm going to allow this to happen. And now we're in the, in working on the details of it. But think about all that effort, and, and you cannot imagine the hours that went into this, into, including staying up pretty much all night with the movie producer, the, the video producer, <laughs> to, to, to get it done because we wanted to get oh it done God. quickly. Uh, yeah. That that because you wanted to do it professionally and in a nice way, easy to the eye. There was a whole lot of logic behind it, and and that's all to get what, to get vaccinated parents of someone giving birth, the most basic, basic humanitarian need to come into Israel. And, and that to me really showed that um, that there is a lack of understanding of what it means to be here alone. Now you ask why, where, where, where does that lack of understanding come from? Because don't they know they have their parents and their support group all around? So there's a few different areas of logic behind this. So, some do say that uh, you know, Israel's story has been a story of Olim that have come here and really had to rough it. Uh, they really mm -hmm. had a difficult time. They did leave everything behind. They came here with nothing. And, and sadly, we we are a society that has boxes. You know, we as Anglo Olim don't generally see it that way with these boxes. But in Israeli society, it still runs very deep. And therefore, we are boxed as the privileged Olim, if I could use that terminology. Spoiled Anglo Olim. Yeah. yeah, you all come with your money and you buy your apartments right. and you didn't go to the Mikaz when My parents suffered. I think when the Russians came, there was like anti, you know, you guys think it, you know, like there was like jealousy from the earlier, the Mizrahi Olim saying, why should you get all these Hatavot when we didn't? So I hadn't even thought about that. This idea of like, Aliyah is a very tense issue in this country. It's because almost everybody's an Olet and everybody has a story. And, and so people feel very invested in, ha you know, what, how their story relates to another person's story. That's really interesting. Or we suffered, so you should suffer at least a little bit with your nefesh for nefesh planes and touch screens and all and, that and, kind and of stuff. And by the way, there is, there is that, whether it's subconscious for most and maybe actually recognizable by others, uh, that really is, is there. Uh, and I, I, there are times uh, when it was actually said to me, you know, when I was lobbying for whatever the issue was, and people recognized me as someone who was working on behalf of Anglo Olim. Now, by the way, this is interesting because it's an interesting dichotomy here. On the one hand, they are blown away by the fact that we mm -hmm. left uh, America or any other comfortable country to come to Israel. They're very inspired by it. And they say, my, <laughs> my goodness, all we want to do is spend a few years living in America. And, and here you are get, giving up and coming here. So they And they're inspired by it. They say, wow, Zionism, Zionism. You, but then on the other hand, when it comes to helping us with our needs, there is a sore lack of understanding of oh. the fact that our community has needs as well. And therefore, I do believe that has played into so much of what has happened. Uh, right. And, and couch that with an Anglo, especially I would say not American, less so, but even British and South Africans penchant for following the rules, politeness, 
sort of like not wanting to ruffle feathers as opposed to Israelis saying, if you wanted something, why didn't you say it? I mean, like, seriously, you, you, why you don't know, you bang on the table? You know, it's interesting. Early on in the crisis when the health minister, I can't believe how many governments we've gone through during this last 18 months and everything else. <laughs> but uh, at a certain point, the health minister was Yuli Edelstein. And, mm-hmm. and Yuli, uh, who was a former speaker of the Knesset, he was a speaker when I was in the Knesset. Uh, and we have a really wonderful relationship, thank God. Uh, he actually says, uh, he says, Dove, you're the one who demonstrated for me outside the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C., so I have to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's absolutely and, and, and true. true. And he uh, said to me one time, we were talking late at night, and I was like, why can't we let these people in? They will follow the rules. And he said, Dove? The Anglo Olim are going to follow the rules. You guys are going to follow everything to a T. He said, but I know as a health minister, this is when things were totally closed. He said, uh, Israelis, uh, native Israelis are not going to follow the rules and they're not going to do bidud, they're not going to do the quarantine, and we're going to have a mess on our hands. And it was very interesting that he, had, he saw us as a population uh, being that way. But now I want to take you. So we've just talked about Olim and how the new Olim are viewed here. Uh, now project that to me trying to say you have to do something for Jews in the diaspora. That's so many steps removed. And the answer is make Aliyah. By the way, by the way, I was in a committee hearing in the Knesset. It's on camera last week. And one of the heads of the Population Immigration Authority said in response to an issue that I raised, he said, so tell them to make Aliyah. Uh, It's so interesting because these are things that I feel like 20 years ago, I feel like Israelis had these types of perceptions. And I would have thought that time would have done some work in, in making them understand. And I think they, I think that sometimes you do see that. Like, they, Dafka, because you left so much, we should appreciate it and appreciate your difficulties. And it's not obvious that the answer to everything is making Aliyah. And it is difficult to make Aliyah. You would think that these very high bound, they almost sound like old kibbutzniks. Sorry, I don't mean to be like, you know, throwing shade at kibbutzim. But like these very, you know, old, ingrained, very narrow perspectives would have changed by the year 2021 and you're saying they're still there in in, in deeper Mommy, ways than we would have imagined. What are you talking about? Why would you think anything has changed? I mean, like... so, but, but, but now, but now all that we said right now... Wait, wait a second. But I want to ask you though because the government of Israel invests the uh, hundreds of millions of shkalim so, in the diaspora so, community. So, so you, where is this dichotomy? So you asked me, uh, and this was a springboard for this conversation, you asked me if I was Minister of Diaspora Affairs today, which by the way, is one of the few positions that I actually would think about going back into the mm-hmm. political realm if that was a possibility. Uh, what would I do? Uh, I would actually begin by investing in uh, in exposing Israeli leaders and Israeli society to diaspora Jewry because there's a massive shift that takes place when people become aware of what diaspora jury is all about. It's incredible. So I would just tell you that I know they do invest in that. It is, they, they do see that as a critical part of their role, at least in the last, I don't know what they do now. In the last administration, they invested many millions of shekel in education and bringing it a part of the, so yes, I understand. I, I agree with you, but I meaning, right. but it's interesting. They invest all that money and then they're like, why should we care about them? Right, but then even and then, <laughs> but then even the money that's spent um, on education in diaspora, I, I feel, and again, I, I don't have uh, statistics to give, but I do know they were like mikrazim, and then money is handed over to three groups to go take care of uh, Zionist education. 
instead of it being a well-thought-out strategy, exactly what are our goals? And I'm talking now as an educator. Uh, it's nice to- Wait, you, you were in the government, right? You were in the government. You were, invi- were you involved in Mikhrazim? Every Mikhrazim is like that, pretty much. No, but the question is, are, are we sitting down in a strategic manner? And by the way, I say the same thing about Israel advocacy from the Israeli government as well. Is there a long thought out strategy of what we want to do, how we want to spend the money, what we want people to be learning, what experiences uh, do we want them to have? And I believe the answer there is no. Now, by the way, part of that is because of the turnover that takes place in Israeli government and ministers. So a minister comes in, mm-hmm. he doesn't have four years to plan uh, for how he wants it to go. He has to think about a year and a half. Uh, to get something accomplished, and and that's by the way in every ministry, and therefore you you lack the ability to have a real thought out strategy of, of what you want to accomplish. But I I can definitely say that that planning does not uh, exist, and I think that's a big part uh, of the problem because so now you have a few different groups that are out there, and money's being put in, and uh, Israel education. So when I was a kid. Uh, and we had, again, this wasn't with Israeli government money necessarily, but we showed up in the gym of the Hebrew Academy, a school which I have, I, I'm not here to say anything negative about this, the schools that I went to. Um, and we showed up and there was a film strip on Yom Ha'atzma'ut of a bunch of people it started out with this orange. Uh, and they zoomed out and there were a bunch of people wearing funny hats planting an orchard. And, and that wasn't very exciting in terms of what Israel's all about. And then one year... Uh, what? See, because you don't remember Mr. Marker. Were you I in do. Jerusalem or I Tel Aviv? I do. Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, <laughs> I do. And that brings me to what I want to tell you. One year, we show over to the gym. We sit down. We're ready for the orange. And all of a sudden, it says, the Washington Bullets go to Israel. And we were like, what? And our, our NBA team, which actually had won the NBA championship, went to Israel. And that was the film that they showed us. And we're watching these these guys that we idolized, Elvin Hayes at the Kotel, and Bobby Dandridge at Masada, and, and Mitch Kupchak on a camel. And we were like, we love Israel. This is awesome. And then the next year, we were all excited. And it was back to the orange again. And I, and I used that story because, I, you know, yeah, we show films about Israel. You connect people to Israel. Um, but I don't know that Israel has ever uh, really done uh, an in-depth, thought-out plan for both sides, for how do we expose is- Israeli leaders and Israeli society to diaspora Jewry, and what are the actual goals of the education programs that we bring to uh, diaspora Jewry, and at what ages are we trying to experience what? I- I'll just give you one example. I've been a big, big advocate for uh, not for birthright when they're uh, already in university or, or finishing university, but for high school level visits to Israel, because I firmly, firmly believe that that 10th, more 11th grade, uh, that's a time where it can have massive, massive impact if it's done education. You know, JNF has something called the, the um, they have a high school here, the Alexander Muss High School, and uh, that model, that model uh, is, is certainly the way I would see where it's worthwhile investing it because the experience of being here, even if it's just a 10, 11 day educational experience planned in the right way, uh, goes way right. Even You could even do it better. You could do it through their Hebrew schools. You could do an educational component to prepare, preparing for the trip. You're not just preparing them to come to Tel Aviv and get drunk. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. 
done that way uh, in a real educational model, the impact is is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. And uh, those are the kinds of things that I would be looking into because I do believe that both sides of the ocean uh, need to understand each other better and have uh, real life experiences. And that could really have the impact that's necessary uh, to both strengthen, strengthen the relationship and, and that, in my mind, is giving diaspora jury their special identity uh, in mm -hmm. Israel uh, because we're building them to have a much stronger connection, whether it's towards the goal of Aliyah or just being lifelong uh, uh, av avid supporters and advocates for Israel. Do you think that... So take it back to uh, Yad Lolim and Omicron. So nothing, clearly nothing's going to change. You're going to have to push for every single thing. But you also think that really not, it shouldn't change, that the government made the right decision for whatever reasons, Meaning, and we shouldn't have a special status in this area for. Or can you say it Jews. differently? Like maybe you could say, um, it sounds like I really, really been saying is that perhaps either it's he agrees with or it's not reasonable to expect tourists to come in now. But like, is there a place for sending some type of message to the diaspora community? Do you think that's something that that maybe I, should be done? I from day one, uh, especially <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. You don't need a message. The minister of the minister of diaspora affairs is in Miami tomorrow at the IAI conference. We could go there. They just can't come here. Right. But I, you know, but I, I, but I, do, but I do happen to agree. Uh, the moment uh, this government started, I'm going back now to the beginning of this government. I mean, I don't even know what round we're on on bans of entry, etc. But I remember because I have a connection to people in Naftali Bennett's uh, inner circle. Uh, I said immediately. I said the very first thing that should happen is a, a message. He speaks English uh, mm -hmm. fluently. Uh, people want to hear that you feel their pain. People right, want exactly. to feel that, hear that you understand they're going through something. That message has not been given by the leader of Israel mm -hmm. from the moment this has started until now. So it's very nice for me to sit down on Facebook and pen a message or make a video. And every day I'm telling people that I feel what they're going through. And even that means something to them. Now imagine if it was coming from the leader of Israel. Mm -hmm. I do believe that it was a massive mistake that that wasn't done. And I continue to tell them that it should be done. Now, if you ask me specifically about this ban, for example, and I don't want to get into the inner politics of it because that's not the topic here, but there is, right. but there is a tendency to panic, make swift decisions and not take into account any of the ramifications. And that's my problem. Um, mm -hmm. If there's a thought out meeting where one of the items on the list are, okay, what, what does it mean for Olim and their families? What does it mean for diaspora jury? What does it mean for whatever the groups are? Then I'm, I can actually be at peace with a well thought out decision that was made. But it's not that way. <laughs> the government makes a decision and then all of a sudden, I don't know, some guy in the population authority has to make some decisions about what the acceptances are. You know, I was sitting next to a member of Knesset, Benny Bagan, last week in a committee, and, and he said, he was in shock. He said, are you telling me that there's no group committee of ministers that are deciding what these exceptions are and based on what criteria? And I said, no, there isn't. And he said, oh my gosh, the Knesset has to get involved here and have some oversight over this. So that's, that's my, it's, it's, an after, it's not even an afterthought. It's not even part of the equation. So then we come in afterwards and we raise it and we try to bring it to the fore, uh, but that's where that status has to come into play. A decision's being made, what are the ramifications for Olim and their families? Their applications for yeah, but isn't there a minister of ministry of Olim and somebody should advocate for the Olim or there whatever? So first of all, I I, I do want to say uh, the current minister uh, of Aliyah has been wonderful uh, yeah. for Olim. Penina Tamanushata, she herself made Aliyah from Ethiopia mm -hmm. and she's been a breath of fresh air uh, for the Olim community. 
Uh, ministers, I, this is going to sound shocking to you, ministers are limited. She can voice her opinion, uh, uh, but if, if there's a consensus in the government uh, against it, uh, then she has to pick and choose uh, what her battles are going to be. And I've met with her. I've met with her staff. Uh, they have been helpful. They have uh, shared our messages. But a video of pregnant women saying, my mother is beautiful, can she come into Israel, uh, is, is exponentially far more powerful than even the minister of Aliyah. Uh, being there as our advocate. That's just the reality. Okay, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, so I, I, it's a good time to mention, Yad Olim, are you still in your campaign, your your emergency fundraising campaign or whatever you want to call yeah, it? Yeah, we are, we are doing a crowdfunded funding campaign. Uh, people who have heard about our work, who have seen our materials, who have been helped or their family's been helped or just know that we're out there advocating uh, for rules to be beneficial to uh, Olim, their families, and to global Jewry. Uh, we also have a legislative agenda way beyond just the corona crisis, which we've been begun the process of working on. Uh, so you can go to yadlolim.org. Uh, right there on the homepage, there's a link to the campaign. Uh, all the donations are tax deductible, United States, Canada, UK, and we certainly would appreciate any assistance that anybody can give to us. Okay. So I can say, I happen to know Dove's incredible Messiah at Nefesh, mm-hmm. Yomam, Valayla, Night and Day, and everyone, basically. I think I think they're like all of Diaspora Jury now has your like cell phone number, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. <laughs> Normally it's hard to get people's phone numbers. Yours is like the easiest one to get. And uh, it's a great bracha. And uh, I, you know, you should just continue to have the strength. People should see the value in your work. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on in the future. Molly, you yeah, want to I just add something? I want to say again, thank you. Thank you for everything you've done for everybody. And everybody should read the wonderful article in the Jerusalem Post describing your work and how you're tireless was that before your pi gar started or a, he got them to write that article it was a great <laughs> article yeah but a post basically said uh Dovey, like you're quoted every single day in, in our articles over here maybe it's time to do an actual yeah. piece about the work that you're doing and i know and i'm humbled by it and I, I to be honest with you i'm not looking for uh, a piece that's so focused on me and it was a little bit uh difficult for me but if it's going to help uh, for people to know that yeah. there's a place they can turn to and also to, to contribute to the work that we're doing, then then I'll, I'm all for it. And I think to understand right. how hard you've been working, but I just have one more question if you have time, because you mentioned the other legislat- legislative um, agenda that you have, and I'm just curious if you could share, let's say, one or two of those for, because again, our audience is comprised of Olim, Americans, so I think it's something that they would really be interested in knowing what there, Yadla There are other means. people, there are other countries also, Anglos. Yes, English Anglos, yeah, Anglos, absolutely. yes. Uh, so... Uh, a few examples of things. Number one, uh, and this is for people after in the post-Aliyah, uh, the Olpan system, both for uh, children and for adults, has to be completely mm-hmm. overhauled and changed uh, in dramatic ways. Uh, accessibility and languages so that a 65-year-old Ole can call Maccabi, their health system, and mm-hmm. when they press four for English, they don't get an Israeli who passed the Bagrut in English, but they get someone who actually knows English as a mother tongue. Uh, those are issues that we're working on. We're working on issues related to taxation. Asian, uh, especially yeah. with the United States in particular. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask you, I have to interrupt you. Why, why shouldn't a person, let's say, who lives in, I don't know, Chicago, wants to be able to come, why, why wouldn't they just make Aliyah on paper? Come here, make Aliyah, and then go back home and live in Chicago. Can you do that? And is there a reason not to do it? Yeah, there are, there are rules about how much time you have to spend in Israel, and uh, that's why they don't give you a... Well, the Russians seem to do it all the time, from what I hear. Well, there are, there are, they're, they're addressing that as well, but there are reasons why uh, you have to you know, wait for a while to get your passport, and there are uh, very specific rules. But we are working, certainly, to try to help 
with the Aliyah mm -hmm. process. Now, again, there are wonderful organizations. Nefesh Benefesh works on pre-Aliyah and getting people here from North America. There's Telfed from Australia and South Africa. Uh, but there's still uh, some lackings in terms of the transparency of the process. We're working with, um, you know, the Jewish agency is going through a process right now uh, of, of really transforming things, and hopefully uh, it'll be in a whole other place. Uh, but definitely working on that front on a municipal level. There are so many issues. We go almost every single week, we go to a different city and meet with both uh, Olim there and also some of the people in the uh, in the city halls. A lot of work to do on a local level for, for post-Aliyah uh, as well. And uh, we literally have gone through the process of how we can work with which committee in the Knesset, which ministers uh, on which issues, lone soldiers. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done, especially after they leave their service. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a lot of wonderful organizations and we want to work with all those organizations to be uh, their representative, going through the process of getting uh, changes to be made uh, through that process. And this, this is just a little bit, but any issue essentially uh, which comes up, which relates to Olim uh, and their families and diaspora jury, uh, those are the issues that we want to be able That's to amazing. represent. And, and here's the key. I've discovered in my time in the Knesset since I started Yad Olim, I'm able to get so much more done because I'm not in the political system. When you're in the political mm -hmm. system, when you sit with a member of Knesset or a minister, they're seeing What are you, you asking me for? No, yeah, what right, am I getting? Right. What you're a member of this party. What are the political ramifications? What are this? I'm a free agent. I'm there purely for Olim. And it's remarkable how much more I'm able to accomplish uh, because of that. I show up at committees and I speak and I raise issues. And then there's follow-up meetings afterwards. And uh, there's just a freedom of movement and a freedom of getting things done, uh, which uh, really has been a real blessing uh, for us organizationally, but in terms of all those that were able uh, to help. So this is going to go way beyond. Uh, the corona crisis. Hopefully people can see just from the current crisis, though, our ability uh, to get things done and to help people and to maneuver through the government bureaucracy. And we look forward uh, to continue being that, that voice and that advocate uh, way beyond uh, corona itself. Amazing. Rabbi Dov Lippmann, he's the, he's the uh, founder and director of Yad Olim. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to start your organization and advocate on behalf of all of us. And even before you even uh, started your organization. Uh, I want to thank Molly Brasky. Uh, we, we're missing Rabbi Johnny Solomon this week. Hopefully he'll be back with us next week. If you have comments or questions, you know how to find us uh, on Facebook, on WhatsApp, and all the different uh, avenues. And we're happy to share your email, your communications as well. I also want to thank my son for our music. And uh, have a great week, everybody. Right now. Just, 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 just stop, right?